0: Thank you for finding the Motel Americana podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please consider helping it to continue running by clicking the support link at motelamericanapodcast.com or by finding us on Patreon. If you're already familiar with this show, you'll know that these stories are based upon the writings of Oscar Garrett, a kid who lived at the Motel Americana in the 1980s and who bugged the rooms. The audio surveillance footage that Oscar captured clearly served as the source material for his semi-fictional writings, and those writings serve as the source material for the audio drama that's presented here Wherever possible, I have and will continue to intercut the audio surveillance audio that Oscar's bugs captured into the narrative. This is the case for the present episode. A full account of my encounter with Oscar and how I, your narrator, Jack Same, came into possession of his writings and audio footage can be found in episodes one and two. If you haven't listened to those yet, I do suggest you start there. Though it's not entirely necessary as most of the tales are self-contained. This is also the case for the present episode. And so with that out of the way, I'm pleased to share with you Choir of Phantoms by Oscar Garrett. When it occurred to Lindsay that the motel standing before her represented her last resort, she found the pun already caught up in her web of thoughts. The phrase turned over in her mind compulsively and ultimately produced the notion that, in some other life, if she owned a place like this, that's what she'd name it, the last resort. In a half-hearted attempt at smar madman inflection she said out to no one an all-inclusive vacation land for addicts, low-lives, and sex trade entrepreneurs. Between trembling fingers, she burned the new cigarette on an old one and considered popping another Valium, her third, but checked herself. She needed to be as clear as possible for whatever this was, whatever was about to happen. She stepped from the car, swinging a Dooney and Burke over her shoulder. She smoothed her skirt over her narrow thighs and walked with wholly feigned sense of purpose to 63 where, as if to confirm her misgivings, the door opened before she even knocked. A man stood holding it open for her, but she didn't budge.
1: You could have been looking out the window.
0: The man just stared at her.
1: It's not that impressive, okay? Spiro, right? Yes. The trick. I'm not a sucker. Am I supposed to be impressed? That's not a trick. I heard your car pull up. I opened the door. That's all. This isn't what you think it is, Lindsay. Miss Gruber. There's no need to be on your guard. In fact, it will hurt your chances.
0: She pulled on the cigarette, looked away from him. The highway stream of cars.
1: People know where I am right now. A lot of people. You still want to live? Excuse me? You'll need that if there's any chance to resolve your condition. This isn't my last resort. Every waking moment is a last resort.
0: He stepped back into the room, long stringy strides that displaced nowhere, leaving the door open, left her standing in her tan heels with tiny pellets of rain bouncing off the shoulder pads of her suit jacket, letting her decide for herself. She resented this, what she'd been reduced to contemplating whether or not to enter a motel room she'd ordinarily never even glance at. It felt unreal. Bed bugs, stained sheets. She heard blue light laughter and false applause coming from the rooms. What might pass as a party behind a door at the far end of the chain of them. People would be fornicating in ways you couldn't even imagine behind some of those doors. Getting high as they say. God knows what else. Did she trust this man? She would arrived at the Motel Americana by some complex and wholly dubious word of mouth gossip network. Her secretary had told her he was the best psychic medium she had ever seen. For whatever that was worth, the woman was an idiot, and Lindsay thought all psychics were charlatans anyway. Lindsay replayed the brief interaction with the man at the door but couldn't find anything resembling a basis from which to form an opinion there either. She checked off the tangible. He was skinny, empty, dark. Mediterranean maybe. His voice was even, calm. Was he depressed? Did he seem familiar somehow? What else? Even behind the lenses of his thick glasses she could see flaring red spots emblazoned in the white surrounding each black dotted eye. She tried to think of the term, the condition, she couldn't. She was in worse condition than she thought. She dithered and wove together strings of disjointed, irrational logic that culminated inevitably in the deciding factor, which was fear. It was always fear. The fear had finally and irrevocably crowded out her anger at her state of being afraid. The balance had tipped out of her control. It's not fair, she thought. I've driven too far to turn back now. Two bridges and a sea of traffic from Long Island. You are a respected woman, she told herself. A professional. You can't go on like this anymore. As soon as you pulled into the lot, you felt it coming, building, about to erupt, an episode. A goddamn episode. Which is when she noticed it against every effort not to see it. The shadows moved at their edges, quivering, lifting up and away from their surfaces in a plot to form new shapes. The cracked folds in the stucco on the wall right in front of her quaked the surface threatening to open in on itself in order to release upon her... God can only guess. She felt a weight press on her chest. She grabbed the rail for support, but it burned her hands and she released it. Something pushed outward from inside her skin, bubbles like exaggerated hives raised on the backside of her hands and arms. She dropped the cigarette onto the concrete and hurried into the room, rubbing at her skin, urging the inflammations to quell. Inside, Spiro sat hunched over the desk facing the wall. Cans of beer strewn in haphazard gestures framed this man. God help her, yes.
1: Her last resort. If this is going to work, I'm going to be able to help you. You'll have to trust me. Even if this may seem lunatic. Trust in lunatics? It may not seem so lunatic what you say about your condition is true. In any case, now I will tell you what this is and who I am and how I can help you. That is, Not the way in which you'll be helped, but how it can be done. This is important, the knowing. Otherwise your mind will be overwhelmed, conditioned or no, and (laughs) that can have irreparable effects for us both. Subconjunctival hemorrhages.
0: He didn't turn to answer.
1: Burst blood vessels. Your eyes. It's caused by physical trauma or psychological stress. It's just trapped blood. Not attractive, but not very dangerous. I worked in an optometry office part-time during undergrad.
0: The man ignored her. He rubbed at the apex of his nose, unseating the glasses momentarily in the process.
1: Sinking helps. I am no longer funneling myself into an opiate vortex, not squeezing myself into pinpricks I open in my arm in order to deal with the side effects of shifting. And a junkie to boot. I think you know agony. I know. But you don't. The blood in my eyes is the least of my worries. I don't need eyes to see what it is you are asking me to see and resolve for you. I've been plagued by migraines and nausea, swollen limbs and joints, loose teeth, burns I felt in places I couldn't place. Real pain. Physical pain so unrelenting. I pray for death. Beg God to let me die just to make it stop. These are not fear illusions.
0: Spiro glanced up at her in the mirror.
1: Staria, I don't mean to diminish
0: your condition.
1: Stop calling it that. You don't know what it's like.
0: He turned to her and stood. He lifted his shirt and in the sick motel lamplight revealed to her a confusion of angry scars. Scorched entanglements of Navajo red and bitter orange. They were a furious impasto in texture, chaos-ordered streaks running up his torso from beltline to neck. Markings, Lindsay thought, as if in evidence of countless attempts by some Sisyphean monger, whose eternal charge was to flay this man's body with belts of flame. Lindsay's lips parted in a near gasp at the sight of the destruction woven into his flesh. Her delicate eyebrows lowered in horrified incredulity and she sat in the chair beside the small table, looking away.
1: The ones that can't be seen, they're worse. Scars in places I used to sleep. I was a young man when all this began, just starting college. My whole life before me. Here.
0: So she was no longer looking at him, he pointed to a small slice of white pink on the lower right rib cage, a tiny sandbar in an ocean of fire. First one.
1: It has sentimental significance, you might say.
0: Spiro retook his position at the desk and turned away, glanced at her in the mirror.
1: It is okay. Better now. I am nearly fully synchronized and this makes the palliative oblivion no longer a necessity. I'm not completely there yet. Here yet. The very act of restraining from the needle helps. I can take solace in the sobriety that comes from the act itself. The effort to resist.
0: He drained the last of one beer, caved it in on itself with a hollow tin man gasp, and snapped another open with a sharp crack hiss. He sneered.
1: Yes, the alcohol. I spend most of my time with Jim Beam, in fact, but... When I work, it's Senor Modelo, my Mexican uncle. It's not heroin. Rest assured, I am conscious of this moment here. I am aware of you, of this time and this place. The simple agreed-upon laws of cause and effect. Gravity, the forward thrust of time happening here, in this room. Look, I don't know what you're talking about. I just came here because someone told me you could help. I have episodes. And the beer? I am human. At least I still reserve the right to believe so. Because the sinking hurts, too, in a different way. Even if it is a lesser terror than the shifts that were randomly forced upon me because... Canceled out possibility. Maybe you understand this in some small way. Possibilities that are lost. What sinking? Why do you keep talking about thinking? This is what you've come to me for. Before I resisted, and I was forced against my will through the fields anyway. Burns, reminders of that time in my life. Now, my life now. What I'm doing, it means...
0: Spiro cast adrift. He seemed lost in thought for a long time.
1: The concession of free will. The abandonment of the naive illusion I've harbored ever since I've had the faculty of thought in which to harbor other thoughts, the illusion that I could choose my own path. I have been robbed of this most fundamental of American promises. Correction. The American delusion.
0: Lindsay saw that there was no hope. No way that this sad man suffering some psychological sickness could help her.
1: Please. I think I should go. Wait. Please? Listen. Just hear me out. I've come to terms with the man I've become. I've relinquished my right to the man I may have been, the man I may have wanted to be. I have many men, one and not
0: one. What he was trying to tell her was that he had learned to bridge the gap between alternate lives, synchronizing the near infinite realities of human life. Synchronization was the only thing that stopped the shifting, the thrusting from one universe to the next against his will. But Lindsay did not understand this. Even as her uncertainty took greater hold, she felt the room pressing in, an episode coming. The wood of the chair beneath her twisted of its own volition. The air around her made sounds like pressure releasing, or building. She clung to composure the way a drunk keeps a foot on the floor after falling on a bed. Spiro continued.
1: I'm working on this, too, that one day I might find fortification in the concession, the sacrifice I made to become what I am to to help people like you. But this is not easy. I can find solace in my sobriety, a source of pride. You can justify something you can congratulate yourself for, but finding fortification in the act of sacrifice? For that, you have to first let go of the resentment. And that is more than... Can be expected of any man.
0: Lindsay's breath grew short.
1: Why? Why are you telling me this? There's a point that applies. You can trick yourself into believing that sacrificing your free will was made an act of enlightenment instead of one of animal survival. But this believing you actually possess a will of your own? It's at best just a vanity. A flower put in your hair that begins wilting the instant you pluck it from the ground. In the end, it's another delusion and ultimately, I, I have reduced myself to pure neutrality which is what I've always been destined for and which is the quality that makes me most useful to you. I've lost you. I've lost myself.
0: He turned to her and saw with surprise that it was happening to her right then and there, and for a brief instant it brought him a perverse sense of joy, that twin misery sensation. But that broke quickly as Lindsay's torment was thrust upon her. She recoiled now from darting flashes of light. Quicksilver streaks cut into the space around her, aroform organisms taking shapes like bat wings right in front of her. An intensity flushed hot in Spiro's face.
1: There are no ghosts! Look at me, Lynn. Look, look here.
0: She tried to find him through the slashes of light, but the deviled wings had gathered and now fused into a shimmering essence of human form, a nebulous construct of body, a dark, gaping mouth, and a light blurred face. Tears came to Lindsay's eyes, and Spiro felt her panic viscerally. Is this here
1: in this place? Isn't it? She stood
0: quickly and motioned toward the door. Spiro took her by the arm. Half stopping her, half holding her up from falling, she looked into his face through a swirling aurora, tried to hear him through thunderous concussions of atmosphere. Spiro yelled as if she were at a great distance from him.
1: There are no ghosts, there's me, and there's you, that's it. An echo chamber of ourselves, a fire of phantoms, pervering through the infinite tunnel.
0: Indeed, it seemed a tunnel had formed around Spiro. A hollow darkness beyond his head engulfed the room. Lindsay struggled, pantomiming the aspect of a woman in control of her faculties.
1: Sorry I wasted your time. I have to go.
0: She wrenched herself away from him, nearly toppling in the process. She raced to the door and somehow managed to open it. And beyond the room, the world had simply vanished. What confronted Lindsay was a black absolute. She halted instinctively at the threshold of the void but was sucked through it as if under force of vacuum. She became dimly aware of the door slamming behind her and then disappearing entirely as she was thrust forward at a speed she could not begin to quantify because of the absence of any visual points of reference. But she felt it in the pit of her stomach with a g-force intensity stronger than anything she'd felt in all her days on earth. She screamed, but no sound escaped. No breath came from lungs. Her body elongated under the unseen force as she throttled through space, her skin stretched, her muscles strained against indomitable pull. The contents of her stomach were drawn out and whisked away into nothing, blackness, and when her body split in two, it was the unthinkable terror pain of being wrenched apart. Her mind reeled back for an instant to an illustration she'd seen once in an elementary history school book, a man tied to four horses faced in opposing directions about to be quartered. Her spine snapped, her torso ripped open and her intestines flailed chaotically about her for a brief moment before they took on a life of their own. The capillaries of each of the severed entrails grew tiny, slick hands and they clung to her, kept her two parts together. The hands snaked up around her arms, wrapped around her neck, forced their way into her throat. The intestines filled her esophagus and lungs until the lungs burst outwards and she at last lost consciousness. She awoke in the motel room on the bed. Spiro was over her, dabbing her forehead with a wet towel emblazoned with the Motel Americana insignia.
1: My Lynn. Lynn, my...
0: Girl. She was too disoriented, too spent to raise any defense. His glasses were gone. She looked into his blood marred eyes as he caressed her hair.
1: We've done this so many times, in so many ways.
0: He moved to the mirror across the room and stood before it. He looked at her in a reflection for a moment and then placed his hand on the glass. The man glowed then, self illuminated. A hot yellow aura suffused him, then emblazed and took on the aspect of fire. He shook convulsively inside the corona and became the cynosure of the room. All air and light bent toward him. His eyes bulged and nearly burst before he clenched them shut and forced his body and the surrounding room to resolve itself. He returned once again to a human state and at that instant the mirror reflection began to shift. It revealed random tableaus in succession. The forms of objects and people it revealed warped into one another like the amalgamation of mercury and gold. At one moment, the mirror revealed a tiny well-kempt man fixing his tie, humming a popular tune. At another moment, a woman whispered into the motel room phone while chewing her thumbnail. Another showed simply an empty room, clean and waiting. Another glimpse showed a naked man lying flat on his back on the floor with the phone to his ear as he stared up into the ceiling tears streaming down his face. Again it shifted and an obese man slept in the chair beside the lamp, fast food to try to strewn about everywhere. A pair of teenagers sitting beside each other chewing candy on a bed, on and on. As the scene continued to shift beneath Spiro's hand, he said,
1: Once, he walked into a small room by accident and found inside it a distraught young man. You were in college.
0: The room in the mirror appeared to be destroyed by
1: fire. It was a janitor's room. The young man you found there trembled in the dark on the floor beside a workbench among mop buckets and detergents, brooms, and wet floor signs. The young man was bleeding through his shirt. He had an open utility knife in his hand. Do you have any recollection of this?
0: Lindsay did remember. She'd been in a building relatively unfamiliar to her, there to meet with her health administration professor and discuss her final paper, a possible position at the hospital he'd been associated with. She had been looking for a restroom in which to freshen up before going into his office, and instead found the room Spiro was describing. The young man on the floor had recoiled against the light when she opened the door, He was clearly distraught she remembered, though she chose not to acknowledge it, though she chose not to see it. She asked him if he was okay, and she chose to accept his answer that he was. In the changing kaleidoscope, in the mirror beneath Spiro's hand, glimpses of scenes occupied by themselves, Spiro and Lindsay, but somehow not them, were revealed. Sometimes the Spiro and Lindsay were alone, sometimes they were together.
1: Sometimes you ask the young man if he is okay. Sometimes you prop the door open, forcing the light to come in, hoping this will prod him to emerge on his own. Sometimes you pretend you don't see him. Simply close the door and the young man opens his veins again and again until he disappears into his bloodletting. Sometimes you call campus security or the police. Sometimes you alert a professor. Once, once you talk talked to the young man, you skipped your meeting with that professor and instead out of the building with the young man and out onto the university lawn into the warm spring sun."
0: Spiro's breath caught. He gasped. The mirror stopped revolving and steadied on a version of Lindsay sitting on the other side of the mirror. A Spiro was there too. Standing behind her, his hand reassuringly placed on her shoulder. He looked healthy here, whole, his eyes clear. The reflected Lindsay also looked different somehow. Her hair hung long. Her clothes were less severe, casual, flowing even. Jewelry she'd never even consider wearing adorned this woman that was somehow not her, but was unmistakably her. A simple crystal hung from a thin leather string necklace delicately perched at her breast.
1: They, we, walked for hours and talked that afternoon. I explained to you what was been happening to me. And you listened. believed me. You believed that I was shifting through the tunnel. You accepted this. We sat in a park and listened to sparrow songs coming from trees. You bought a cup of ice cream and shared it using a wooden spoon. We watched mothers and fathers play with their children and you said one day you'd like that. Have a family.
0: Lindsay, here and now, had risen and approached the mirror. She stood next to Spiro and looked at the woman on the other side of the surface and the woman looked at her. Some understanding passed between them, unlike any understanding that Lindsay had ever known. The woman had a stack of photographs that she held up to the mirror, held out for Lindsay to see. Tears were streaming down both their faces now, as the woman in the mirror revealed one photographic image after another. Pictures of a family, the woman's family, a child, a boy, and then a girl, an angel.
1: You healed me, Lynn. You helped me accept what I was. You made me whole. Is that me? We married. We have two beautiful children growing faster than we could ever have thought possible.
0: Lindsay touched the surface of the mirror, aching to touch the woman she saw there aching to touch the children in the photographs. Lindsay said to the woman, I've been so alone. The woman in the mirror wiped tears from her
1: eyes. But at night, I know you have regrets. You wonder, you think about what might have been, wonder who you might have been if you'd closed the door that day, if you might have become a successful woman, if you might have done an internship for an optometrist, if one day you might become a CEO of a hospital with a secretary, a respected woman. I'm so sorry.
0: And Lindsay turned to Spiro. She folded into him as if she knew him intimately, as if she had known him all her life. He took his hand from the surface of the mirror and it returned to reflect only them, what they were there and then, subject to the common agreed upon laws of time and space. Hey, thanks for listening, folks. If you're enjoying listening to this podcast half as much as I'm enjoying making it, then please consider supporting it by going to motelamericanapodcast.com and clicking support, or by searching for Motel Americana Podcast on Patreon. The process will take less than two minutes. And of course, you can donate however much or little you're comfortable with, and every little bit helps. I can assure you that every cent that's donated goes directly to improving the quality of the show for you, the listener. It will help get the resources needed to improve the audio quality, expands the show's infrastructure and reach, as well as allow me to integrate Oscar's original audio surveillance recordings into the stories here. All said and done, it'll ensure that this podcast keeps running, and it'll make for a better audio experience for you, the listener, which is really what this is all about. So please, again, click the support button at motelamericanapodcast.com or search for the show on Patreon. Thanks for listening and for spending some time with me in the vast wilds of the Motel Americana.